Hello, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Tortal Babes, a podcast about three sisters reading the Tamara Pierce books. This is our very first episode, and we are going to be reading the very first chapter of Tamara Pierce's um, first book in the Song of the Lioness Quartet, Alana, the First Adventure. So that first chapter is called Twins. Um, to give some background, my name's Sally. I'm the middle sister. I'm Janet. I'm the oldest. And I'm Helen. I'm the youngest. And Janet and I came into the books as uh, young, young teens. Janet was the very first one to ever read them. Um, I, I, I go for it. I found this book when I was at a, I was on a bus for a summer camp and I was dirty and I was grimy. We lived near a beach growing up. And so we'd all gone to the beach and I was disgusting. And a friend of mine had this book. The book had a girl surrounded by purple light with a horse on it. And I was enamored. So that was my introduction to Alana, the Alana series and all of Tamara Pierce's books. Yeah. And Janet would read them all the time. And so I like obviously needed to read anything that Janet read. Obviously. <laughs> it's a requirement. So I would steal them when she was done or before she was done off of her bookshelf and read them myself. And then I'd have to hunt um, them down and find them, usually yeah. located secretly <laughs> in some other bookshelf or like under a pillow or something. Yeah. So how, Jana and I have had like long years of experience with these books, seeing as we are both now in our like mid, or I'm in my early 20s and Janet's in her mid 20s. <laughs> and, um, Mid to late 20. <laughs> and so we've kind of like had them growing up. But, but Helen, the youngest sister, tell us about your interactions with the books so far. I have never read the books yet. This is my first go around, my first time. So I just read Alana the First Adventure. Very exciting stuff. I just never really picked them up after um, Janet and Sally did. So here's my first go around. To give you some background, as this is the very first episode of how this idea came around, is we all live in different places now, um, but we're pretty close as sisters, and these books about um, friendship and about finding yourself and adventure and magic. And awesome, powerful woman. Yes, awesome, powerful woman is such a big way for us to kind of, you know, stay in touch and stay together, even though we're all over the country now. Um, and we know that other people like these, po- these books because they are very popular, um, and we have friends who like them. Yeah, we have. I stumble into people, and if they've read Tamara Pierce, you know they're like they're a good egg. Like they they know. Um, and there is actually one other podcast already out there called Tortal Recall, um, which I actually found after we had come up with the idea to create this podcast. Um, but I've only listened to one episode because I didn't want it to be too similar or anything. Um, I was the one who came up with the idea, so I like did a ton of research and stuff. Um, and but I wanted just encourage everybody to like listen to that one too. Like listen to both podcasts, get all the Tamara Pierce in your life that you can. And the rest of us haven't listened to Tortal Recall, although I think their name is amazing. And, um, but one of the things I did discover in my quest for understanding more about Tamara Pierce books and looking at them through a more literary lens, um, rather than just a 13 year old who loves stories, uh, was I found um, a series of sort of analyses uh, that were called The Queen's Readers, another excellent name that I'm just all about. And I encourage you all to check out that one. Uh, it's not a podcast. It's um, it's a series of essays, but they're all excellent. 
And they just sort of, they look at Tamora Pierce from a sort of literary content. I haven't read more than just the excerpts available online, um, which is not enough, but again, we want our content to be original. So we're saving this for when we're done with podcasts. Yeah. Or at least after like the first book. Um, but in general, everybody, everybody got like the great names already. So we're the Tortal Babes, but I mean, we we are pretty cool. Yeah. We're cool. We're babes. It's, it's fine. Okay, so in this, uh, the way that this podcast will be structured is we are going to read a chapter um, with every podcast, and hopefully we'll have weekly podcasts. Um, and there will be, this is an adult podcast, because we are all adults here reading this book, so you might hear some cursing. And discussion of like adult themes, including um, sexuality, sex, racism, uh, economic uh, feasibility, and related boring adult topics, of course. Yeah, but like we'll make them super fancy and fun. <laughs> Not boring at all. <laughs> totally boring. <laughs> um, and uh, we will now, I was thinking we could just dive in with a summary of what happens in this chapter. And in this beginning chapter, the very first time that Tamara Pierce ever, you know, puts a pen to paper that gets published into a book that makes it into our hands is called Twins. And basically what happens is we meet Tom. For the purposes of this podcast, we are calling him Tom, even though I called him my whole life Thum. Um, we meet Tom and Alana. They are twins. They are about to be sent off um, to kind of like begin the next stage in their um, adolescent lives, which would be for Alana to go to the convent and learn how to become a lady and for Tom to go to the uh, royal court of Tortal um, and learn how to become a knight. But they do not want to do this. Uh, they don't want to... Alana wants to be a knight. She wants to, like, be, like, BA. And and so on the second page of the whole book, like, they do not mess around. Alana comes up with the idea for them to change places. She will go to the co- uh, court and disguise herself as a girl, as a boy. And Tom will go to the convent because they do take boys. Like, don't worry, he doesn't need to pretend to be a girl super convenient (laughs) and he will then go on to be a sorcerer and they can do all of this because their dad basically doesn't give a shit about them it's like pretty obvious and they are gonna pull one over on him and they have to tell Coram and Maud who are the two people that are the only ones in the castle who know how to tell them apart and the only ones who are going with them places they're gonna tell them their plan and so Maud the village healer who knows how to do magic so we get magic in the story Maud is like I must try to see in the fire and see if this is even possible. And she tries to see in the fire. It's very interesting. Alana also sees something in the fire, which is not supposed to happen. Through foreshadowing. Yes. And then uh, the next day, uh, they head off on their grand adventure and... Stuff happens. Yeah, stuff goes down because Maud tells Alana that she has to like make sure her gift for healing is also... Um, just as like used as her gift for causing violence and destruction as a knight, uh, which is an interesting commentary we'll get into. And then also they split up. Coram doesn't know, but Coram and Alana go to the courts and Tom and Maud go to the comet. We never see Tom and Maud again, really, until like three books from now. Uh, spoiler. Um, but then, oh, that's right. There will be spoilers in this podcast. And then... Um, Quorum. Not too many spoilers though, because I have never. I'm reading them for the first time, so my sisters, I'm sure, will be very kind and not tell me anything. So it's on. 
Of course, Helen. Yeah, of course. Corm is mad uh, because he doesn't want to be taking Tom to the uh, court because Corm is like a cool, strong manservant dude and he thinks Tom is weak. Um, and he, then he finds out that it's actually Alana with him. Psych! He's very, he freaks out, but don't worry, they get him drunk, so he like accepts this for the moment. And then the next day he decides that he's actually okay with it because Alana's like way cooler than Tom anyway. He almost dies when his horse like shies in the road and Alana like saves him basically, so he owes her one. And then they finally, finally get to the castle, uh, the court Tortal, which is a, like basically a city of a kind. There's a marketplace. Alana sees a guy with nice eyes, <laughs> which comes back later. Um, they, she's overwhelmed because she's a country girl. And so then they get up to the castle, which is separate kind of from the town um, a little bit. And, you know, very fancy. That's how you know they're royalty. And uh, she thrusts her chin forward because she's going to see this through. They're about to go into the gates. And that is the first chapter. So on second second reading of this book, and I say second reading, I really mean my... I'm not certain how many times I've read this book, many times, uh, at least two dozen. And one of the things that struck me right away is how Tamara Pierce builds up the story um, right from the start with this characteristic of an absent father, an absent and un, unappealing and unsensitive father, because he's not even introduced as a fatherly figure. He's referred to in his first, in his first and only line of dialogue, uh, which is also the first line of dialogue in the book. Um, as the man at the desk and throughout the rest of the story he's really characterized that way like he is a scholar he's here for his books he's paying attention to his stories and so it's interesting to me just thinking about that because this is a story you're, you're sitting reading a book about in the first couple sentences a man who's reading a book but has these two children who are essentially the stuff of legends oh um, that was deep Although we don't find it out for the next little bit. Yeah, thank you. I, I put effort into that. <laughs> yeah, um, they, they, he, he does not get to, to do much. But then he's like kind um, of purposefully shoved away and Alana gets new father figures that we will meet instead. Yeah. The other thing that um, we sort of glossed over but is also relevant is that right next to the first page is the map of the whole Tortel. And this is the original map. Um, but I just want to say it seems highly unrealistic because we were talking about this earlier and there are only three lakes in this <laughs> entire country and apparently one river. Um, it's mostly coastline and desert, which when you think about Tortal and how it's characterized, it's not characterized as a desert. Not at all. A and watery desert. Not at all. So most of the story happens on the edges of the nation. <laughs> Helen, were you going to say, I heard you say like an um that got lost. Yeah, I was just going to talk about how I thought it was, um, it didn't, it's interesting to me that because she like really like gets to that plot, does not waste any time, second page, boom, switching roles, great. But um, she also, because she gets right into it, a lot of the exposition is kind of given like in little like in the in the, not necessarily the dialogue, but the way that they talk about the dialogue. So it does say like the man at the desk and then later on you learn that they were motherless because, you know, she calls them, Maude calls them poor motherless things or something like that. So I just thought it was like interesting that because she like gets really into the plot so fast, there really is no 
introductory paragraph of exposition that some other books might have that's all like in a town far away and something rather and people go and they talk about like how the whole system is set up and this one just doesn't do that which I thought was interesting which is actually that's that's a really good point I hadn't I hadn't quite noticed that and I think part of it is because I noticed that it was fast paced like the pacing of of the writing right from the start as you said totally dives in but the other thing I noticed um now thinking about that is like and we've talked about this in the past but Tamara Pierce or Tamara Pierce has mentioned that when Harry Potter came out she was allowed to expand the number of pages in her chapters and the number of pages in her books and get deeper into a story because at this time when this book was published like 1983 uh young adult fiction especially heroin young adult fiction barely existed so um it was by nature it had to be very short and very concise and very to the point and it you can feel it does sort of force uh ways to wiggle in exposition yeah it's very much like structured like a children's book even though we uh even though there a lot of it like becomes much more adult subject matter especially in this very first book and in the first half of the first book there's a lot of like we're keeping things short and snappy and getting right to the point because that's what kids will like pay attention to. That's like who this is marketed to. Um, but then I think I forget if this like continues on in other books or if in other books, she, you know, like you said, obviously she gets more pages. So does that mean that we get more exposition, that kind of thing? I think we do. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see as we get closer, as we start reading those books, if the style of the writing changes or if the stories become more complex because I, I think we should keep an eye on that. But I also want to explore the moment where they come up with the idea on, as you said, page two, to trade places for a significant portion of their lives doing really hard things. Let us take a reminder here. These people are 10. Yeah, they're 10. I always forget they're 10. That's, it's so crazy. That they're... Yeah, I really don't think they thought it through very well. They even say in the thing, she's like, oh, well, I'll, we'll get to that. Like when, when Tom says, oh, you're going to turn into a woman. And she's like, oh, I'll face that bridge when I come to it. It's fine. The thing is, is when you're 10 and you think about growing boobs and um, all the other weird complications that come with becoming an adult female, uh, you don't really know that much about it. Like it's kind of, it's, it's this like mystery, but it doesn't seem like I won't change that much. You just, you have no concept of it. Yeah. And, and Alana, Alana doesn't. Uh, like think very hard about these things anyway. Alana, and this is something we get throughout the book, um, but you see it start right away at the second page. Like she is a kind of like a doer rather than a thinker. She just like kind of intuitive, intuits, intuitively feels things uh, that she decides she'll do. She makes decisions and she does them with kind of like a very intense stubbornness. But she doesn't think really hard about things. Yeah, we typically call that impulsivity. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Helen, I want to know, uh, you were said when you when we were talking about this earlier, you were like, so Tom is introduced as a sociopath. Yeah, he's just introduced as a very self-indulgent character. <laughs> or not, no, self-interested character. Um, just because he's basically introduced as, I don't know, like, I can't exactly say why I think this, but I just get the impression that he's a little bit, like, uppity or something. Like, I don't know, the way he says, like, I want to be a great sorcerer, walk as slay demons and walk with the gods. He's got he's got big plans for himself. But like besides that, well, most ten year olds I've met 
do have big plans for themselves. And that's a good thing. What's unique about these two is that they actually plan to go do them. Like they take these steps. That's a lot of agency. It is a lot of initiative. The part that made me think he's a little bit um, not into the whole social side of things, though, is because he it says very clearly that he only likes one person and that person is Alana and everyone else. He thinks he's a little bit, you know, better than. And he, he's introduced as like a very like it says in the book that he's cold hearted, um, which I just think is an interesting way to introduce a character that, you know, would normally be an appealing character, like a nice character, the brother of the main protagonist. And so I'm wondering if he comes back later on as a villain. Yeah, Alana loves him. Like, it's really obvious from the beginning that they care about each other and kind of almost only each other. Like, Alana is nicer to other people, but she also is not afraid to kind of bewitch and manipulate the people. Like, she says um, on page three, she says, like, I'll tell Corin we will work magic on him if he says anything. Like That's true. That's true. Like, she's not a... F- Maybe they're just yeah. goal-oriented. <laughs> They're 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 kind of slithery. <laughs> they are kind of slithery, like very goal oriented. But I think the other side of it is that they are the noble young children who have really powerful magic and an absent father and no mother, and they like they they've run this town for or this what is it called? It's a feudal a fiefdom. <laughs> they've run this fiefdom. Um, since they were these <laughs> and they are quite comfortable with it yeah but there's a there's a lot about the way that they're immediately juxtaposed against each other in terms of like people liking them um that's like that puts especially tom as like even more of a like i get what i want when i want it type person than alana who like is kind of a little bit more not timid but nicer uh because tom in the first chapter tom is like uh, let's see. He is very demanding of Maud in a way that Alana is not. He and then there's the whole section with Coram, who we have to talk about. I love Coram, um, but Coram is like sad because he's like, oh man, I'm going with this like finicky kid who doesn't want to fight and isn't is like kind of like prissy. Like there's a lot of like kind of coding of Tom as like girlish and weak, um, but also selfish and like like. Uh, selfish and demanding and like in that way so that's a and then Alana is coded as like a hard worker a good like strong like oh I wish she was a boy Coram says a lot so that gender dynamic is coming in right away yeah very much a gender dynamic which is interesting considering the and we'll get into this in later casts but the um the relationship Alana has with her own gender because right away we hear being female coded as uh, like what you were saying, being prissy, being selfish, even though the other female figure that we're presented with is somebody who has hard decisions. Maud, she chooses to do what she thinks is right and appropriate, um, but she's still this like mother hen figure. Um, and it's it's just interesting that they have this absent father and then they have Maud and Coram who are this mother and father or grandmother and grandfather or aunt and uncle figure, but have no relationship with one another or I don't know I don't think they do I never got that I think they kind of do like how yeah they're like vague friends in the way that they probably don't see each other a lot in the fiefdom they operate in very different circles but they both take care of these kids and are kind of pseudo figures for them although I don't think Coram is a pseudo figure a father for for Tom he's much more about Alana yeah 
No, and like, and obviously Coram gets like the 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 better end of the deal here because he gets Alana and Maude has to deal with Tom. Well, <laughs> Maude Maud also goes home. Yeah, Maude just stays with him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So let's talk for That's a moment true. about the picture in the fire. Yeah, foreshadowing. Maud is like, I must see in the flames. So this is our first introduction to magic in Tortal's world. And it's kind of like Maud's a little scared of it. And we get the introduction to their religion of the gods and like how they interact with them to get magic. And it's really clear from the very beginning that the power comes from the gods and the gods generate like the power comes from the gods and the gods come from the power like they're very linked together and they're just kind of like letting the humans in the world like play with it which i think you see more as the story goes on but ma's like kind of scared and she doesn't know if she's doing what's right um and it's also very like kind of a medieval vibe like i'll throw some some leaves on the flames and i'm a witch and that kind of thing yeah we're really getting the like flavor of the world building here. And again, Helen, going back to the point you made, she's doing it with very few words and advancing the plot mm-hmm. very quickly. But we're still getting that flavoring. Like you can picture two kids kneeling on either side of a woman and she thrusts their hands into the fire. And then the other thing is that of all the gods introduced, the great mother goddess is the one that Maud prays to. So right away, we're introduced to the great mother goddess and then her shorthand. The great the mother goddess! She's she's a, she's a badass. Yeah, I know. She like she's fantastic. I also hmm. really enjoy the part where Alana, it's clearly outlined on page from on my page 5 that Alana was afraid of her magic and she had to be ordered to hunt and Alana or Tom, Tom had to be ordered to hunt and Alana had to be tricked and begged into trying spells. And then she uh she's like freaking out because she's not supposed to see anything and she starts to see this picture and it's like ignoring all the laws of magic which is when yeah. you start to know like maybe we've got some supernatural happening here yeah alana's already special mm-hmm. yeah and tom later is super excited about that but uh alana completely shuts down and we yeah. never see that interaction like tom- we don't ever see tom ask about that again which seems inconsistent with his later characterization. Well, he's also 10. <laughs> you know. Good and his, and they're about like Ten he's got a lot on his mind. Like they're they're about they're they're about to go change their whole lives and his sister's like I didn't do anything and they're mine. He's like okay, fine. Like I know you did, but this is not important right now. What's important is that I get to go do what I want. Like there's a limit even to Tom's kind of consideration of Alana even if she's his favorite person. I don't know, but I'm kind of, like, in this chapter, I'm, like, becoming kind of anti-Tom. It's weird. I know, he seems really sketchy. Well, there is a fair bit of characterization. He's sketchy, yeah. He's he's, he's hella sketchy. He like, but, um, yeah. back to, I have a question about the magic that I've had for a while, so I'm gonna put it out there. I don't know if you guys um, can tell me or not, because it might be, like, against the spoiler mumbo-jumbo, but um, in the meantime, there's this whole thing, the gods seem really quite vindic- vindictive because they have this, or vindictive, because they have this whole deal where Ma gets super nervous about how people, like, um, will die in terrible ways if they use magic that they don't have control over, which I think, like, is, in one thing, that makes sense, but at the other point, like, how do you know that you don't have control over something until you try it? So, like, how many of these of these people have these gods just, like, you know, smited or smote 
because they like were like, oh, well, where does my power extend to? You know, how evil are these gods, y'all? How, um, how morally gray? Agreed. No, I, that's an interesting point, but I think it's also one that, yeah, like you said, is kind of bigger than just this one chapter and bigger than... Oh. It is, okay. it is bigger than this one chapter, but the other thing that it calls to mind is sort of the the social structure that keeps people in their place that currently exists in our world through, or existed in through, um, uh, what am I trying to say here? Not Tamar Pierce land, uh, but real life in feudal Europe, for example, there are systems that keep people in place. And one of them is if you reach too close, if you stand too close to the fire, you get burned. And we see that in like, oh, the story of Icarus, you know, fly too close to the sun and your wings melt. So it's like, there's this, we're hearing in a different mind, in a, it through the lens of um, Tamora Pierce, the same message of it's okay to reach for your goals through Alana, but it's not okay to reach beyond what is possible, um, which is sort of a social construct that says stay, stay inside your. What's the word I'm looking for here, guys? Like, bubble inside class. your lane. Yeah, stay inside, inside your lane, inside your class. Uh, stay within societal expectations because that's what's appropriate. That's right. So to me, actually, yeah. But then of really course they just burst out of it. Yeah, but yeah. we do in order to burst out of it, in order to admire Alana, we need to know where the boundary lines are. So that's very like, Agreed. again, yeah. characterization or uh, rule of building early on. Yeah. And it also shows from the very beginning how much of a hold the gods have on these people. It's not like, oh, I'm vaguely religious. I'm somewhat a believer. I'm agnostic. No, you believe in the gods because they're like real. Yeah. And the gods have like a pretty, they, there's a line later in one of the books where it's like the gods brush into everyone's life at some point. And the thing is, is that it's quite accurate in the Tamora Pierce series. The gods are active characters. They are characters in their own right. Yeah. I'm excited to, to see more of them just because I think like, it'll be interesting that they do seem so, um, like they have much, much more human qualities than the, the, the gods that we might know more about in like, real life i suppose i don't know i'm getting like an old testamenty the wrath of terror yeah no vibes an an old testament (laughs) sort of vibe indeed yeah so i want to skip ahead to a moment where going off of this sort of old testament greek god motif that we have um where Maud brings up this idea that you rarely see in hero knight Uh, conquest stories about healing and how important it is to make up for the lives that you take. Yeah, she she's yeah. we never get that. Like that's never really considered in a lot of other fantasy novels. Is there is there any book that you can think of where the cost of killing and like the karmic idea of having to make up for that with he, the cost of killing and the karmic idea of wake, making up for that with healing and how much harder and slower it is to heal than it is to hurt? Is that, can you think of any story where that is directly equated? Um, well, of course, now that we're discussing it, I cannot think of any. But maybe that could be something that people could let us know. If they can think of one, they can write in <laughs> to us and let us know. Um, because I cannot really think of one. There's like a lot of emphasis on how killing is really hard for main characters to do. In Harry Potter, when people die, he blames himself. In um, like stories with, uh, I'm thinking of like Lord of the Rings. There's a lot of emphasis on like you know, sacrifice, but oh, Avatar has a little bit of that. 
Avatar The Last Airbender has like a little bit, not necessarily that healing is just, is well, like Katara heals, so that's something, like that's along those lines, but it's not listed as being harder. But one of the big things about that is, of course, that, you know, Aang can't, he like won't kill the Fire Lord, it goes against his entire, the entire deal. So that's a little bit along the lines of like, not, not really that healing is so much harder, but that, um, it's like cost something to someone's own self to kill someone, even if they're a terrible person. But even when the cost is discussed, very rarely is the payment also discussed. Like you have to, you have to, this is how you pay for that, or this is how you equalize your balance. Like it's a very balanced perspective, which is interesting. And, um, and it's a good message too. It's like, think before you fight, think on who you're fighting. If only because one day you can meet, meet your match and if you want to pay for those lives you do take use your healing magic use it all you can or you won't cleanse your soul of death for centuries it's harder to heal than it is to kill mother knows why but you have a gift for both yeah she she lays it out really nicely and it's kind of a cool message for kids and for people reading the book too something that Tamara pierce obviously cares about is that you have to kind of measure your own good but your own bad but you're good so quorum i love quorum let's just have a moment for the Let's just do a little like fun little moments in this book and in this chapter. Like I love calling out some fun moments and there's a great moment where they put wine in his wine skin, like really good brandy so that, yeah, nice brandy so that when Coram finds out that he's actually with Alana instead of Tom and going to the castle, they hope that it'll kind of like ease his gears. Like he'll drink some wine, he'll feel better. Reading this as a 13-year-old, I totally thought that brandy was like some kind of amber liquid that made you happy. And now as a 28-year-old, I agree. Yeah, it is. It is that. (laughs) But I just love how there's this moment, he's like, I don't want to, she finds out, he finds out he's like super mad. And she's like, Alana's like, Coram, calm down, have a drink. And he's like, I don't want to drink. I want to beat you until your skin's will hold water. And then he took a deep gulp from the wineskin. <laughs> like, he's like, but I'm going to drink. Does anybody else read Gorham as like Scottish or Irish? Oh, I just read him as Hagrid. Oh, Hagrid. Oh my goodness. This is how we know you read him. You've read these books after uh, we read them because I had not read Harry Potter when I first read this book. He He is way more competent than Hagrid, like as a person. He's a good, like... Hagrid messes up so much and Corm consistently doesn't mess up. Corm consistently is there for Alana and is like her father figure. I disagree. I think there are times where Corm messes up, but most of his mess ups are because he is, um, how do I say this? He's, he's a, how old do you think Corm is? I don't know. Well, it says he, he worked in this, it was a soldiering castle guard for like a long time before he even came they go see them. So he has to be like at least 40. Well, see, that's the thing. When I read this the first time, I was like, Corb's got to be like a dad. He's like so old. But I think he's more like 28, 29, maybe almost 30. But didn't because... he soldier for like 15 years? All right. So this math is going to be interesting. because Tortal math. I think that later in the series, we will discover that Coram is supposedly a like fit man in his 40s or something like that. But Alana will be an adult. So I want to booknote this moment. Okay, um, we'll come back where to Where we it. identify her. We will. Because Coram might secretly be magic himself. No, but he can't be a fit man in his 40s 10 years from now when Alana's an adult and also a fit man in his 40s now. <laughs> no, Coram just doesn't age, y'all. 
Quorum is immortal. He's 40 forever. <laughs> well, that's my question. Is Quorum actually like a minor god? <laughs> to watch Alana? I would not be surprised. Like, he doesn't even know that he's a minor god. He's that minor. <laughs> Conspiracy theory. But yeah, I love that moment. I love how when he goes to, when they go to the uh, um, inn, uh, the the inn's innkeeper's wife kind of fusses over him because he's uh, really drunk, calling him like the poor wee lad. Yeah, he's wasted. And that's another thing that maybe makes me think that Quorum is like not as old as we think, because clearly the innkeeper's wife's kind of like, ooh, Quorum. So moving forward into like, Quorum has the exact same problem that Tom had. It's a, it's a noble thought, a warrior's thought. But if you're not caught when you bathe, you'll be turning into a woman. So it's just like bodies are problems. Women, yeah, women's that's very are problems. heavily introduced. The very first problem that they both come up with is that we'll become a girl. Like she's already a girl, but like they- yeah, the problem isn't her ability. The problem is her body. Yeah, and that's it's so obvious too because Coram goes through this whole thing in his head that he wishes Alana was the boy because she's better at all the things that boys are supposed to be good at. And the only thing that's keeping her back is her body. And she knows that and everybody knows that. And it's kind of this damper on the book from the beginning that even though she's going to go and try for this thing, though she's a girl, she already feels inadequate and like it's impossible. She's just kind of bullheadedly doing Mm -hmm. it. And we'll see that grow as a theme through the book. What's amazing is that one of the most important people to her quorum, the father figure of her life, says, you can't do it. And she says, I'm going to anyway. Like, how many 10-year-old girls have that amount of sheer self... What's the word I'm looking for? Like, self... Self Self-actualization? Self-confidence. Yeah, self-confidence, self-actualization. Um... And then on top of it all, as someone who has worked with horses when I was 10 years old, I want to really emphasize the fact that she jumps out of her saddle, grabs Corrin's horse. Oh, yeah. yeah. When Corrin is about to die, Corrin is just suddenly about to die. Where did that come from? Oh, yeah. I love that that just happens in one paragraph. He both almost dies and is saved. Yes. And, well, the thing is, is that, like, if you have a bucking angry horse that's about how long it takes to do all of that one paragraph this is this is accurate timelining for me in my experience um and uh because it really can like things can change in 30 seconds especially with snakes snakes are freaky so um also the other thing is that later we hear the goddesses like uh it's like the hissing of snakes like she's also the goddess of horses and snakes um and so we see both of those here. So we this is I saw it as like some foreshadowing on the part of the the power that the goddess has over Alana's life, how how she was like influencing Coram in the right direction. I love that. Oh so. my gosh, that's great. Like like that's kind of a turning point for him. So we've got two fan theories. Coram's a minor god and the goddess like is influencing her minor god to do the right thing. <laughs> I love it. Okay, well, Okay, so Coram gets drunk, he decides to take Alana, and they get to market. And they're in market, and uh, they she builds this like wonderful picture of the marketplace. I love this picture of the marketplace. This I thought this was really great, the way it's introduced, and like all the different people, and all the different markets, and all the different things that are being sold. And she's so overwhelmed great. by it. Like She's such a country girl. It felt very realistic to me, though, that she would be so mm-hmm. so surprised by all of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then George. Well, can we even talk about? I guess we can. We can talk about George. He's like, he's already there. 
George sticking him sticking himself in there from the very first chapter one. Like John is not introduced introduced in chapter one, but we get George. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, and he's a lean young man with white teeth and a tan face. White teeth in medieval times. It's a truly remarkable. And Everybody has great teeth. Everyone Tartal has great teeth. It's that she likes. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's the fluoride in the water, y'all. He's got a bright one. He's got one bright hazel eye that he winks at her. Um, and then she wonders if he's a thief because he seems really nice. And and that and that's George. Automatically, we've got this like here's this character who seems completely innocuous and instead is so important later. I think you can really tell from the beginning that Tamara Pierce was like, well, let's just throw George in. Like, let's just give him a cameo, you know, before anyone, like you can tell in this bit after reading all of the series, you know how much Tamara Pierce like likes George. And so I think she just likes his character. And so she's just like, we'll put him in the beginning. We'll give him a shot. Like he, he gets a cameo. <laughs> um, well, I mean, he, he's important in this book. I don't know about the rest of the books. It sounds like he gets even more and more important, but he's important in this book too. And he's not like that innocuous because, I mean, she does spot his eye color from like across the market. Oh, yeah. She like zooms in on those hazel eyes. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah, he, he becomes big. And that's another thing. I don't know if we even noted this at the beginning of this episode, but Helen, since she has not read the books at all, this, she's reading them with us. So there are spoilers that we're trying not to discuss uh, for the rest of the series. Like, we'll discuss, you know, spoilers for this book, Alana, the first adventure, but not spoilers through the rest of the series. So that, yeah, one... that might have been something we should have mentioned. Earlier. Yeah, well, we're mentioning it now. I actually am, I'm just like, I'm looking at my book right now, and I'm noticing that in the same line that he, the same section, so to speak, she introduces George, but not by name. She introduces the marketplace and the market way, and she actually really maps it out for us. Like, the names are the, just the, the distance and the grandeur of it is given as much attention as uh, George's cameo was. Yeah, and you also get, um, like, the grandeur of Tortal is really established. Like, the fact that Alana is a country girl is, um, you know, fun for this chapter because we also get to kind of feel the amazement that she feels and the, like, um, the newness and adventure that she feels and the kind of pride almost that this is her it's like, oh, wow, I've never been to this amazing place. And now it, it builds it all up so that when the chapter ends, um, you are also kind of both enamored and uh, overwhelmed by Tortal and its majesty. And she's ready to go through the castle gates. And like, you know, she's kind of scared because it's all coming in. Like she's, you get, you, it builds up to a really nice point for the ending of the chapter for her to then go through the gates. It's like, I go through the city and then, into the into her like next chapter in her life so as an overall introduction to what later becomes a massive book series with a plethora of rich characters whom i adore to this day um how how's how's chapter one helen what what are your thoughts chapter one well overall I liked it. I was a little bit taken by surprise at the beginning because of how like into the plot it gets so quickly, but that's just like my own conditioning from reading other books that usually take um, at least a few pages, if not an entire first chapter to like establish the characters, establish the world before they start moving along. Um, but overall, I really liked it. I, I liked all the hints that we get about who Tom is as a character. 
I want to know why Coram didn't think that Tom would help him. I want to know more about um, the um, the whole like system of magic that they have there and why Maud is so trepidatious of it and why Alana is so like, eh, not into it. And um, and I just, I really love the market and how it's introduced. And I like how, I don't know, it's like, it's kind of like a pure innocent type of courage that Alana has right before she goes into it because she's just like, she's anxious and she's nervous. And then she just kind of, grits her teeth and goes into it and I I just that really appeals to me I think it's very honest and very open we've all felt that way that she felt um you know or was like we just gotta grit your teeth and go in because my unsung hero for this podcast is uh the guards at the temple of the great mother goddess they are super cool they sound super badass they've got double-headed axes and they know how to use them that's a direct quote and they keep men from ever setting foot on ground sacred to the great mother goddess. So like, they're like, no, we, they rule that. And it immediately gives women more agency and it immediately gives the story, like the kind of like Alana's choosing to not go down the route that maybe would have been the only route available to her. Like she's doing a different one, Um, but they just sound like super cool and you know, they sound, they sound tough. So there's, that's my They do indeed yeah. sound very BAMP. Helen, who's your unsung hero? Okay. I, my, I'm going to, I'm going to take your unsung hero because it, it is, it's, he's so unsung, chubby, the horse. <laughs> he does indeed, he keeps his cool, he does his thing. Yeah, he, uh, he does not react poorly to the snake. He just, you know, chugs along. Well, well chubby horse named Chubby. That's cute. <laughs> chubby chubby does react but so the big gelding reared almost throwing his master and chubby's response was to stop dead in the road surprised by these antics so. yeah but you know one horse throws off the throws off the rider and one horse just kind of stops for a bit i know which horse i would want to be on also i want to be on chubby chubby like likes alana like chubby does not like tom riding him but he likes alana riding him which i think is cute who's your unsung hero jb my unsung hero. Well, there's not many characters left to choose from. Um, but I think I'm going to go with that innkeeper and his wife. So the innkeeper helps Coram to bed because, as she writes, by the time they arrived at the wayhouse, Coram was very drunk. And his wife fussed over the poor wee lad. Coram done got real swasted. The, this poor innkeeper just minding his own business and then Alana essentially arranged for him to have a drunk quorum to deal with so I think he deserves a bit of a point for that side note here but could we even suggest that Alana and Maud basically drugged quorum into submission here like yes yes we could yeah pretty much that's valid (laughs) this is is the equivalent of an idea roofie Uh. (laughs) basically oh you know what they didn't just drug him into agreement. They drugged him, they made him feel bad, and then they offered him the cure. So she hands him the steaming mug and says, Mon makes this feel better every time. Makes you feel better every time. And so they like got him really sick, and then Alana hands him the hot liquid, and he feels better. And she says, and Coram's like, fine, I'll call you Alan now. So Aww. yeah, he's totally like he's, he's totally under her thumb for like he's been the rest bullied. Of it. He's been so bullied. Poor baby. It's okay. Oh well. I think headcanon here, another headcanon about head Coram. We've got Coram as a minor god, the goddess is in the horse, and um 
final thing can I, I think Corm is probably like a smoke show. Like I think he's I think he's hot. Oh. Like he's probably like if I was, you know, in my thirties or late later twenties or whatever, or not even, you know. Like he he seems like a really like he's got his kind of like country accent that's like thick mm-hmm. and soldierly and he's you know, he was a blacksmith and he's gonna take care of Alana. I don't know. I bet he's it's true. I bet he looks no, no, good. you have you have a point. You have a point. Although this doesn't jive with how I've been picturing him, because I've basically just been picturing him as like a fitter, less hairy Hagrid. Well, <laughs> you know who I've been picturing him as? I just realized I picture him as Gibbs from Pirates oh, of the Caribbean. <laughs> okay, well I can also see that. That can also be. <laughs> You're supposed to see him as a slightly father figure, so there is, yeah. Okay. But he could he could be attractive. Yeah, I can I can rework my inner mental image. He's like a cross between Will Turner and Jack Sparrow and Aragorn. I think he's like an Aragorn kind of. <laughs> oh no, he's he's Boromir. He's either Boromir or Aemir. Oh my gosh, you're right. Oh my gosh, he's you're right. Boromir. Except he's not. He's not yeah, a noble he's Boromir. Like Boromir. So he's more okay. like kind okay. of like on the. On the Boromir. Yeah. Okay. Crossover, crossover pod. <laughs> if you haven't deduced it already, we are all nerds. Yeah, we all like fantasy. There's going to be references. Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, and others will appear. <laughs> yeah. Does anyone else have anything to add? Or should we maybe... Okay. Well, cool. Thank you all for listening to this podcast. We don't have social media yet, but we hopefully will soon. Um, and I. Uh, Stay tuned for our next episode, but until then... Later, Lady Knights. Later, Lady Knights! Later, Lady Knights. (laughs) 